humanity, God's Son gave His body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the Anointed One living His life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. How good's that? The dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. It's a free gift of grace that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, out of the uh, New King James Version, let's, uh, let's look at this up on the screen. And really, I want us to focus firstly on, on verse 1, but we'll read it all. So, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so I want us to look at that. Who's good on the board? Tim, you're great on the board. Can I, can I, oh no. Are you taking photos tonight? Dish, you're good on the board. Come on. You got good handwriting? Come on. Who votes Dish? Come on, Dish. All right. Dish is going to write some stuff up here for me. So, Dish, I want you to write this. Big writing, okay? Use the whole thing up. Heaps of space. There is therefore, there is therefore, I love the word therefore. I'm a lawyer. I'm a words guy. Um, I actually remember once when I think I think it was with with mum and dad. They were doing some gardening. We're not a gardening family, okay? Not a gardening family. Or you can tell just look. I I don't know my way around the garden. But I think I was asked to go inside and get the fork. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I I don't know what mum needs a fork for when she's gardening, but maybe that's I'll just go get it. I'm just going to follow instructions. So I went in and got a fork. I came back out and I gave it to her. She said, what's this? I said, it's a fork. You asked for the fork. She said, the fork that you get the leaves with. I said, you mean the rake. You mean the rake. So words are important, right? Fork and rake, you know. We we don't do much around the garden, do we, mum, dad? But um, anyway, so words are important. So the word therefore, I love that word. It's important. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to start unpackaging this this verse. We're going to look at what each one of these things mean. Therefore, what does it mean? No condemnation. And being in Christ, what does that also mean? Because I tell you what, when we get hold of this message... It's actually something that sets us free. Thanks, Dish. Dish, that's great. Why don't we give Dish a hand? Two out of two, mate. So when I see the word therefore, I need to look back at what the writer has said prior to using the word therefore, so I understand why he's making that point. When, uh, when Paul says therefore, it tells me that everything that is written before that culminates in what he's about to say. So everything that he said before in chapters 1 through to 7 is actually quite important for our understanding of chapter 8. So what has Paul been writing in the book of Romans up to this point, and why? Now, Paul was writing to the Christian church in Rome. He was a Roman citizen. He'd never actually been to Rome, but he says in Romans 1.10 that he loved the church in Rome, and he wanted to go there. Actually, it was his goal. He aspired to get to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was full of uh, mainly Gentiles like you and me, we don't have Jewish descent, most of us. So they're Gentiles like us. And Paul 
absolutely loves them. Absolutely loves them. So I think it's almost a letter that's applicable to us, word for word, today, isn't it? Because we're in the exact same category. Um, And he's writing to them because people were becoming set free by the work of the cross. The understanding of what Jesus did for people, what he did on the cross for us, setting us free from everything, from every condemnation, every sickness, every curse, and reestablish our relationship with the Father through grace alone, not by works. That was the truth that people understood when they actually became Christians. But there was a small little group, a group of people called the Judaizers, who went about trying to convince new Gentile believers that they needed to follow old Jewish customs, that they needed to also get circumcised, all the men said, ouch, right? And also that they needed to follow all the old Jewish laws. Now, it's Paul's heavy burden that he actually gets to the people in the church in Rome before any false doctrine like this gets to them. That's the importance of what we're going to look at tonight. And as I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit say that there are Judaizing thoughts in our minds. We might not have a group who call themselves the Judaizers who are coming and saying, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But there are thoughts like that in our mind. Thoughts like that that we put on ourselves. I must do this, I must do that. Even coming to preach tonight, can I tell you, um, there's a little voice, an accusing voice that comes at you saying, are you really fit to preach on this? Because you haven't really prayed enough. Are you really fit to preach on this because you haven't spent enough time with God? Can I tell you, those voices are the ones that are going to be silenced tonight for every single one of us. Why don't we give it up for Jesus? So Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He wants to get to them before the Judaizers do because it, it would be absolutely terrible for him, terrible for the future of the church, if the Judaizers, Judaizers got there first and this false doctrine came into the workings of the church because it was a young church. Now, so for us to understand what he's talking about, we need to actually look back at what he's discussed throughout Romans 1 to 7. I want to look at uh, Romans 3 quickly, Romans 3.21. And so, before Christ came, the idea of redemption, the idea of having a relationship with God, that that was something that was only open to the people of the nation of Israel. Gentiles weren't part of this opportunity. They weren't part of the family of God. And the idea that you could have a relationship with God in heaven, the idea that you could actually be right with God was uh, secluded only to the Jewish nation. So there was a bunch of laws that they had to follow. We all know there were 10 commandments that were handed down. In fact, there were hundreds and hundreds of laws. By the time Christ came, there were hundreds of laws that the people of Israel were being told that they had to obey. Who knows, that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. And part of the work of the law was to show people that if there is this standard that we have to meet, if there is this standard that we have to meet because God is just and He's holy, that we, in our human weakness, are never going to get there. We are never going to get there in our own strength. But this is what Paul says in Romans 3. He says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. The righteousness of God. Righteousness means to be right with God. To be right with God. To be in right standing with Him. To be able to knock on His door and open up and not feel like there's anything that you're ashamed of or any reason why you shouldn't be entering that place. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. All who believe. It doesn't say all who do a certain thing on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Both Jew and Gentile have sinned, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Everyone say the word propitiation. Half of you got it. A propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. There's some big words there. There are some big words there. To understand really what the therefore means, we need to understand one of those big words well. We need to understand what the word justification means. Justification. Justification. Justification, you can think of it as meaning just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. But there is actually more in-depth, I'm, I'm a lawyer, right? There's a more in-depth definition we're going to look at. So that's going to come up on the screen. Because there's real power in this definition. Justification, we're justified freely by grace freely by grace. Justification is a judicial act of God. So it's an act that God does in his judgment seat as judge of the entire universe. The judicial act of God by which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. He pardons all the sins of all who are in Jesus Christ. So any sin you have committed, past present, any sin you might commit in the future has been freely pardoned by this work. And accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eyes of the law. This means that in addition to the pardon of sins, the justified person has complied with all the law's demands. It actually is a two-way thing. It's a great exchange between us and Jesus. That he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became complete sin because that's what was required to be the sacrifice for our way. But not only that, he lived a perfect life. He who knew no sin became sin. And he exchanged his perfect life with ours. So what that means is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the things that you've done in the past. He doesn't see the things that you did on your way here. He doesn't even see the things that you're going to do in the future. He sees a perfect life. He sees a completely perfect life. But, I hear you kind of, I hear people saying, but there's got to be some catch. There's got to be some catch. Friends, this is grace. This is the message of grace. This is the, the, the law of spirit living, the law of grace that we live under today, and that is that all we need to do is believe. All we need to do is believe, and Jesus Christ's perfect life is actually put to our account, put to our account 100%. It's not as if there's remnants of sin in the past that God remembers. It's all washed clean. 
and you have lived a perfect life, which means that you have complied with all the demands of all those different laws. We don't even know them. We don't need to know them. But if you read Deuteronomy 28, it talks about all the blessings for obedience. And can I read that quickly to you? Deuteronomy 28 says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God by keeping all the commands I'm giving you today, you will experience all these blessings. You'll be blessed in your towns and in the country. You'll be blessed with many children and productive fields. You'll be blessed with fertile lands and flocks. You'll be blessed with baskets overflowing with fruit and the kneading bowls filled with bread. You'll be blessed wherever you go, both in coming and in going. The Lord will conquer your enemies whenever they attack you. Who thinks that's good? We are entitled to that. All the blessings to Abraham, all the blessings that God promised to the nation of Israel, those are the blessings that we sit under today, not because we've done anything, but simply because we believe. Simply because we believe. Fantastic. We can't attain good standing with God through our works. Nothing but the sacrifice of Jesus actually accounts for that. I want to look at the example of Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 5 to 6. It says this, Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So here we've got a picture where God has brought Abraham out of his tent. He said, Look at all the stars in the sky. This is how your descendants are going to be. This is how numerous your descendants will be. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. They could not have kids. So everything in Abraham's flesh would be saying, well, I, I don't get it, God. How's this going to work? But the word says that Abraham believed. He simply believed, and then righteousness was accounted to him. He was made right with God simply because he believed. God says to us today, simply believe. And be in Christ, and you're righteous. Simply believe, and you are made righteous. You are entitled to have a free relationship with Jesus Christ. Freely you move into that relationship. In Genesis 26, God says this of Abraham when speaking about his son Isaac. Uh, speaking to his son Isaac. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your descendants all these lands... And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. It's really interesting that God says this at this stage. It's interesting that God says to Isaac, you're going to be blessed because your father Abraham obeyed my laws. Because there were no laws at that time. God actually didn't give the Ten Commandments until about 350 years later when Moses came. So how can he say that Abraham obeyed my laws? It's because Abraham believed. It's because he believed. If you have any tension in you at all, if you ever think to yourself, oh, well, I didn't do this, so I'm not worthy. I didn't, I didn't live up to the expectation that God might have had for me, so therefore I'm not worthy. Just look at this scripture. Look at the example of Abraham. That God says that he was righteous because he kept all his commandments, even when there weren't any commandments, simply because he believed simply because he believed. And that's the position we're in today. Simply by believing what Jesus has done on the cross, we are righteous in him. Why don't we give God a hand tonight? Therefore, therefore, so there is therefore, 
because of justification. Because we can just freely believe in what Jesus did for us. And we freely enter in to a relationship with Jesus. Therefore. So now we're at therefore. It's important to understand what Paul said beforehand because otherwise therefore doesn't make sense. We are justified. Therefore, there is now, now, when friends now, right now, where you're sitting right now, there is no condemnation. Right now, today, it's not in the past, it's not in the future, it's not something that you're going to attain sometime in the future because it's not by works. It is right now. There is therefore now. You are sitting in that place right now, tonight. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to get right with God. You get right with God tonight because that's what Jesus has done. He's done it. He's cleared the way for you now, tonight. It's tonight. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, what you've done in the future. Because Paul says in Romans 8.38, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from him. Nothing can separate you from his love. Think about the example of Paul. Think about who he would represent today. Paul was a zealot Jew who believed that the Christian sect, as he called it, was something that needed to be exterminated. He went from village to village exterminating Christians. Exterminating them. And yet God found it in his mercy to use this man to write almost all of the New Testament that we've got, to actually set up and plant all the first churches that we, have, we read in these letters, if God can use someone like Paul, if God can choose to use someone like Paul who was so zealously against Jesus Christ, then how much more can he do with all of us? How much more can he do with all of us who are here, sitting here tonight? Friends, our eyes are going to be opened up tonight to the fact that you don't have to do anything to earn your way with God. You don't have to do anything at all. Actually, we do things for God from that place of being justified freely by Jesus. Amen. Grace, the free gift. Colossians 1 says, And you who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You are above reproach. Friends, you are totally above reproach tonight, now. Now where you are. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. Not after you spend an hour with him tomorrow because that's what you had promised earlier this year. It was your New Year's resolution. Now, right now, without having to do a thing, you are above reproach. Blameless in his sight. In his sight there... The Greek word that's used is best translated as in his searching and penetrating gaze. In his searching and penetrating gaze. You know what God does? He searches our hearts. He penetrates through every motivation, everything we have. And when he does that for you right now, tonight, he sees you above reproach. He sees you totally blameless. Completely blameless, completely right with him. Hallelujah. So good. Okay, so there is therefore now, today, right now, no condemnation. No condemnation. Oh, how powerful this is. Everyone say, no condemnation. No condemnation. Come on. We've all felt guilt, haven't we, at some stage. 
Every one of us has felt guilt about actions that we may have done, about things we may not have done. We felt condemnation, probably a bit of shame as well from time to time. You know, there's actually a place for remorse for sin in our lives. I don't want to gloss over that, that there is a place for remorse because with the love of God, remorse actually turns us to repentance. Remorse for sin turns us to repentance. We don't, we don't look at our sinful uh, past and think, oh, that was all good. No, we repent from that place. But as for condemnation, accusations, the voice of the enemy trying to bring us down, trying to dislodge us from our place seated with Jesus Christ, there is none of that anymore for us from tonight in Jesus' name. Remorse is totally, yeah, come on. Remorse is different to condemnation. The word, word condemnation comes from the Greek word katakrima, which actually means a lot more than just feeling bad about something. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm feeling a lot of condemnation for the fact that I haven't spent time with God and everything. That's, that's cool. But the word no condemnation is so much more powerful. That Greek word katakrima means penal servitude. It means a sentence pronounced with a penalty following. So again, it's a legal term. It basically refers to the sentence that someone had to serve, a criminal had to serve, after they were found guilty. So think of it this way. Think of what the Romans are understanding when Paul's writing this. They live in a society where there's criminals everywhere. Some of them are being crucified, others are being locked up, others are being flogged by the cat and nine tails. Like it's, it's brutal stuff. And Paul says to them, there is no more catacrima. There is no more penal servitude. There is absolutely no condemnation. There is no penalty anymore for anything you've done in the past. This is freedom. Absolute freedom. So catacrima, no condemnation, actually means a lot more than just some feelings of guilt. In the fullest sense, it's basically a, a declaration of freedom. It's an absolute declaration of freedom for us in Jesus Christ. There is no more condemnation for us in Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by faith through grace. The only way is through Jesus. Now let's think about condemnation. Let's think about things that we might feel. Might be some anxiety, might be feelings of guilt, might be, you might actually feel like you are condemned for certain things that you have done. That voice, those thoughts, they usually come from one or two places. They might come from other people, or more often they come from ourselves. They actually come from ourselves. That we actually put something on ourselves, a burden, a, a chain, a weight that we're not meant to carry. We are not meant to carry that. But the source of that voice, the source of that thought is one, it's the enemy. It is pure and simple, the enemy trying to dislodge us from our place of freedom in Jesus Christ. John 10.10 10 says, the enemy comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life in abundance. Let me share with you a, a personal story for me. Many of you would know, like when I, uh, many years ago, I went through a very difficult personal time when um, I went, actually went through a, a divorce. And in this church, it's funny, like you go through something like that and you could possibly expect that certain people would look at you funny. They'd start treating you differently. But can I say in this church, there was never any of that. No condemnation at all. This is a beautiful community of faith, hope, love, acceptance. 
And something happens when you go through a life-changing experience like that. And it doesn't have to be something of that nature, but we all would have gone through certain things where you almost feel like there's the branding iron of the enemy on your spirit. Where the enemy almost puts something on you and says, you're forever going to be labeled like this. You're forever going to be labeled as that guy who went through that. You're forever going to be labeled as that, that girl who, who went through this. You're forever going to be labeled as that person who has that issue. You're forever going to be branded that way. Almost feels like a, a branding iron. You know how they brand cattle. That branding comes off tonight. For anyone who's suffering with that, anyone who still has that, that branding comes off tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Because there's one person who labels us like that, and he's Satan. And he has no right to speak to any one of us. He has no right to speak to any one of us at all. In Jesus' name. Why would the Father condemn you if he has already condemned every sin in his Son? Why would he repeat it? He has already condemned every sin that we have ever committed in the body of Jesus Christ on that cross. So for us to take it on ourselves, for us to condemn ourselves, we're actually saying that Jesus didn't do a good enough job. We're saying that what he did could have been done better. And we're actually putting ourselves on a higher seat of judgment than the Father. If he has forgiven us, if he, the perfect judge, has forgiven us, who are we to condemn ourselves? The same goes for our relationships with other people. If God has forgiven your neighbor for everything that they've done, who are you or I to withhold forgiveness from them? Who are you or I to withhold forgiveness? Are we a greater judge than God? The answer is no. So freely we've been forgiven, and so freely we forgive others, and freely we forgive ourselves as well. Freely we forgive ourselves for anything we've done in the past. Let me give you a scriptural context of this. Sometimes we feel like there's going to be an accusing voice coming at us, and sometimes we think that the argument of the enemy or the argument of other people is actually going to hold weight with God. In Zechariah 3, there's a picture that the prophet receives, and it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So we've got a picture where Satan is there, standing at the right hand of the Lord to oppose the high priest. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will clothe you with rich robes. Friends, that's what Jesus does for us. That every time you feel like there is an accuser there, accusing you of things that you may have done in the past, can I tell you, you've actually got an advocate. You've got an advocate. In 1 John 2, John talks about the Holy Spirit, our advocate. And the word there is parakletos, the Greek word parakletos. It means someone who is charged with standing beside you to assist you. He is your advocate in any court of law. But you know what? There is no condemnation. Satan doesn't even have standing to come into that court of law. He doesn't have standing to actually accuse you of anything anymore because the battle has been won in Jesus' name. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Here's a very actual 
scenario where Jesus is faced with a situation where someone has been caught sinning and breaking Jewish law and Jewish custom. And the judges and the Pharisees are throwing all sorts of condemnation at her and asking Jesus, what what would you do? Shouldn't we stone her? And Jesus says, he who is among, among you without sin, let him throw the first stone. He among you who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. The only person there who was without sin was him. The only person who could have actually done it was him. So does he? Is he a a God who stands um, in his throne room uh, pointing the finger at us? Is he one who wants to judge? Is he one who wants to condemn? Or is he one who speaks truth and also acts with grace? He says to the woman, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Friends, this is an amazing picture of Jesus where he speaks with high truth, telling her not to sin anymore, but but also high grace. And this this is Jesus. He's a judge, but he's also love. He's all love. God actually can't help but sacrifice himself for us because that's what love does. That's what love does. And that's a choice he made. And that's a choice he made on that day. You know, in that big verse uh, in chapter 3 of Romans that I read, and that's where the justification word came from, there was another big word I got you to say after me, propitiation. Propitiation, that's a pretty amazing word. Because it actually means the satisfying of all of God's divine wrath against sin. So all of God's wrath. See, he is holy and he is just and he hates sin. So he can't just stand by. But he chose, instead of pouring any of that on us, to send it all on Jesus Christ on the cross. Every last bit of God's anger and wrath against your sins was poured on Jesus on that cross. There actually isn't any left for you. There is no anger left for you. Because he sent Jesus as a propitiation for all our sins. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And the last part here, in Christ Jesus. How do we live in Christ Jesus? You know, we are, we're declared righteous by the Father because of what Jesus Christ did through justification. That's God, our judge. And then we're recreated to be righteous through sanctification. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us after we make that choice to become a believer, to follow Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside us and help us to become more like Jesus Christ, to live life according to the Spirit with Him as our advocate, our paracletos, is the greatest thing that we can do. To actually be changed more and more into the into the image and likeness of Christ. And I look across this room and I know so many people's stories here. So many people have seen each other's journeys over the years and you have become more and more like Jesus Christ. You have become more and more like Jesus through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I prayed for Uppy before. Uppy was one of the first people that I met when I came here to Silver, Uppy and Bev, you know. And I remember when she first got up to lead worship in a young adults night and um, she was hiding behind the screen she didn't want to sing and look at her now 
Look at her now. That's the sanctifying and developing work of the Holy Spirit in her. In her. And I look across this room and I can see so many similar stories like that. So many similar stories. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, when before we go on this journey, we've got a propensity to go towards sin. If you look out in the world, that's the direction, a propensity to go that way. You know, lawn bowls, who's played lawn bowls? A couple of people. Doesn't matter how straight you try to bowl that ball, it will go one way. It has a propensity to go one way because it's got a weight in the side. Doesn't matter how hard you try, doesn't matter what spin you put on it, it's going to go that way. After you become a believer, after you become filled with the Spirit of Christ, filled with the power of the filled, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a work that the Lord does in your heart when you choose to live in Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit rather than living by your flesh. And that weight in the bowling ball is slowly cut away. And that rather than having a propensity to go towards sins, we have a propensity to go towards truth and a propensity to go towards the things of God and a propensity to lay our lives down and to live according to the Spirit. How do we live according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh? We are born again by the Spirit. Your starting point is there. Your starting point is actually to live according to the Holy Spirit, to live according to the Spirit, because you haven't been redeemed by your works. You haven't been redeemed because of laws that you've followed. You've actually been made righteous because of a spiritual act, and that is praying a prayer for Jesus to come into your life and for you to be regenerated and born again. You know, Romans 6, 7 says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You are set free from the power of sin today, now. You were set free from the power of sin. There might be certain things that I struggle with and everything. Yeah, that's right, but stand up. Stand up. Declare this over your life. Declare that there is no condemnation. Declare that you are freely justified. Declare that you are made new. You know, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. That you, when you pray and when you declare, you are actually decreeing things from the heavens like Jesus. That's where you are. That's where you're seated. Your freedom is actually found in your submission to Christ. How free you are is found in how submitted you are to Jesus Christ. We actually think that submission is a bad word. We think submission is a dirty word. But submission to Christ is the best place you could be. Submitted to Christ. And, and this is a journey, isn't it? We're submitted to Christ and we go on a journey of being more and more consecrated to, to what he asks us to do. And being submitted to Christ actually means, in a practical sense, a practical outworking, it's being submitted to your leaders in church, being submitted to your leadership here in church. It means being baptized. It means to be baptized in the ways of the church and the way things are done and getting involved. And most of all, it means having a true relationship with Jesus Christ, having a relationship where you can sit down, Start praying and you feel his Holy Spirit because he dwells in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's chosen you to dwell in now. Friends, I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight. If you have never prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life, this is a chance tonight.
everything I've talked about, about the freedom that we experience, the freedom we enjoy, the therefore that we're talking about, the justification we're talking about, the propitiation we're talking about, all the big words that I've talked about today, living life in the Spirit, it all comes down to the last three words there, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. None of this is possible without us being in Christ Jesus. In Him is found your freedom. In Him is found all your healing. In Him is found your deliverance. In Him is found your purpose for your future. In Him. In Him. I want to do a general altar call later for people who are struggling with feelings of guilt or condemnation. We're going to break that off people's lives. But right now, I want to ask you all to consider in your heart, am I in Christ Jesus? Because nothing else we've actually talked about tonight matters until you can answer yes to that. Until you can answer yes to yes, I am in Christ Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Everything else is going to come second. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, believers in the room praying, I want to ask this question. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Can you say that you are in Christ Jesus? You may never have prayed a prayer asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Or you may have before. You may have done that in the past, but because of a range of things that have gone on, you've slipped away. Friends, there's no condemnation. There is no condemnation. The enemy will try to tell you that you can't come back, that you've had your chance. But nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from His love. You might actually not even know the reason, but there might be something in your heart saying, oh, I need to pray this. I need to pray this. Your spirit might be jumping. Your head might be trying to hold you back. Like I said before, this is a spiritual action. It's a spiritual action. Your spirit knows that it needs to be reconnected with the Holy One. Your spirit knows tonight. I remember walking into a room when I was 18 years old with my parents. We went to church on Father's Day. My parents had started going there and they'd been going for six months and I'd sort of they'd become different people because the Spirit of the Lord was in them. I almost didn't recognize them for six months. And I walked into this church thinking, well, I'll go along. Father's Day, Dad wants me to go, so that's fine. My sisters and I went along. and I thought, I'm a Christian already. They're, they're all Christians, so it's going to be fine. Nothing's going to change. But I walked in, and I couldn't help but be overwhelmed by the feeling that all these people around me seemed to knew my God a lot better than I did. Some of you might feel tonight, like you've come in here thinking, oh, I'm already a Christian, but why, why is it that everyone around me seems to know him a lot better than I do? Friends, you need to pray this prayer tonight. You need to pray this prayer. If you don't know if you're going to heaven when you pass away, and that's something that's going to happen to all of us, you need to pray this prayer tonight. It's not something to be unsure about. So with every eye closed, every heart engaged with the Lord right now, I want to ask this question. If you fit any one of those categories, or if you just feel like you need to pray this prayer on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand boldly. This is the way he went to the cross boldly for you. Why don't you lift your hand boldly tonight and pray this prayer? 
on the count of three, lift your hand boldly. One, two, three. Who is there? Who is there in this room tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Who is there in this room? There is no condemnation for him. Friends, we're free. We are completely free tonight, now. You are free this evening. You are good with God. You are made righteous in His sight. I'm going to hand back to Chrissy, and then, um, then we'll open up the altar, and we'll, we'll pray for anyone. I want to pray for anyone who's struggling with any area of what we've talked about tonight, any feelings of guilt or condemnation, anything from the past. We're going to set you free tonight. The Holy Spirit's going to work, and we're going to see people set free this evening. Thanks, church. Amen. What an awesome word. Can we thank Leon here tonight? That was amazing, transforming word. Hey, we're going to um, go into a time of worship, church. And, you know, like Leon said, we're going to open this altar while we're worshiping here tonight. We've got um, Leon will obviously pray with us, but we've got a whole team of pastors who'd love to pray. So if that message has spoken to you tonight, we're going to open this altar, just engage in worship for a while. And, um, you know, we believe God's going to do something amazing here tonight. So why don't we stand and worship God tonight? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Is we 